Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, an occasionally opportunistic opera of hopelessly optimistic canaries after opening day defeat. I'm Tom, and alongside John this week, we welcome Fionn and Lorne to set the yellow and green world to rights. Starting with Liverpool at home, quite the game. Fionn, who do you think comes out of the weekend with the most praise? Uh, for me, it is uh, Dimi. I thought he was awesome, um, given that's his first ever Premier League game um, and against some pretty good players. And it was nice as well. Obviously, that was the first time I've ever seen him um, live, basically. And so it's kind of, you know, having the different view um, from the telly. And uh, I felt like I got a really good much better sense of him as a player than I had from all of last season on I follow. Um just sort of his his speed definitely. Um and yeah, how he was just sort of like pushing us forward. Uh yeah, I thought I thought he was our best player by far and uh that bodes well if he could do that against Liverpool. Um I think we might have some uh, some joy up that side against some other teams. Well, I've always I've always said this about you, Fionn. You and Jamie Carragher are exactly the same. Um, and apparently, he was singing Dimmy's praises as well, saying how well on the on the uh, on the old telly, um, how well he had handled uh, Salah. And obviously, Salah scored, um, but you know, not from not from uh, Dimmy's lack of lack of ability. I second that. I think he was absolutely superb. And um, there is one other person that I would say just pipped him, I would say, in terms of a man of the match. But I will let uh, Lorne have a turn first rather than steal any thunder. Well, Fionn's already stole my thunder because I was going to say Dimmy. Um, I think there should be some honourable mentions, though, to quite a few of them. Because it was a fairly good performance. And that's almost the disappointing thing is that we played fairly well and still got nowhere near Liverpool, which is a bit frustrating. But uh, Hanley, I thought, had an incredible game, given that that was essentially his first game of pre-season. He made a slight error for their first goal, I think, in assuming that Salah would control the ball, so stepped out, which left Jota on his own. But I think you can forgive him that, because I would expect Salah to control the ball, and I think Salah would expect Salah to control the ball. So that was an understandable mistake. I think Pierre-Lee Malou looked excellent as well, really, really tidy, two-footed, Excellent up and down, hardly gave the ball away. And Gilmore, similarly, very impressive. I think, yeah, I think all round it is a pretty good performance. Dimmy was the standout, but I don't think anyone had a nightmare. Punt, what are you saying? Yeah, it's it's really interesting that the players that have been kind of singled out for praise, none of them I disagree with, but at the same time, the, the kind of post-match comments or commentary was... Um, we don't have a defensive midfielder. Billy Gilmore and you know Pierre Lesmalou were pretty much playing, you know, kind of or occupying those positions, and and should have been the defensive shield ahead of the defence. Um, Yanulis, I thought he was terrific, but you know Salah gets two assists and scores a goal. So from personally, he's probably a little bit disappointed with his performance because you know he hasn't he hasn't stopped some of that. And I know there was a bit of freakery in, involved in some of the goals, but you know ultimately, you know they, they got Liverpool scored three goals. Um, I'd probably also give an honourable mention to um, Milot Rashica. I thought he was excellent in the first half, the way that he linked, actually, you know, kind of in terms of just little interchanges with Puki or speed of thought to get him away from people or just gravitating into space when we broke really encouraged me. And I think if he can, there's a bit of an argument, you know, kind of post 
post-match about should Pookie learn to to play with Rashica or should Rashica kind of learn to slot Pookie in um, Buendia style. I think both of those things could equally be true. They've got to learn to to play with each other, and um, and we could have a, a really formidable partnership. But then when you you kind of you throw in the fact that you've got um, Scholis waiting in the wings to to come in and add a bit of a bit of pace and a bit of freshness to the to the attack as well. So yeah, I was really encouraged by the performance, and I think yeah, actually when when you kind of look back on it statistically in the cold light of day, there's a lot to like about what we did on Saturday. One other one as well that I don't think we've mentioned um, is Lucas Rupp, who I thought had a really good yeah. game as well. First half especially, yeah, I'd agree with that. Very involved, did a lot of uh, work in terms of breaking stuff up and winning the ball back high. So I think he deserves a mention. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned uh, the, the interchange between um, Milot and well, I thought you were going to say Campwell. Uh, and then you surprised me by saying Pookie because I actually thought that was a slight area of concern just to clarify, I think there was there was issues in the absolute final third or the opposition box where they were clearly on a different wavelength. But when Puki dropped short and kind of gave a quick little pass to Rashica or Campwell, or where it, it looked quite fluid. Perhaps you know, kind of um, just as we were approaching the final third, there's definitely work to do. But um, I'll take your point. Well, yeah, I mean, all I was going to say is I, I thought you were going to finish that um, beautiful articulate sentence with Campwell because I, I that was one of the things I took from the first half was that Campwell and him really did seem to be on the same wavelength. Um, some of the interchange, some of the little triangles that we did in the first half when we still had the confidence to do so, um, I, I thought we, we looked really, really tidy. And it reminded me, which is not necessarily a good thing, of the early season uh, last Premier League campaign where we were doing those little triangles around City and playing really... I remember the Chelsea game. I, I think that's the best performance when we... Obviously, we lost, but that Chelsea home performance, we played some incredible football that day. Um, and, I, I, you know, if anything, I think we probably played better then than we did against City. We had, certainly had more of the ball. Um, but, but yeah, I, I was re- really heartened by that. I thought Campwell... Um, you know, t- tired, and um, my you know my main gripe was was with with um the lack of of cent- central defensive midfield, which has been done to death, but but is definitely a case. And you know, whilst whilst you kind of can give the benefit of the doubt of um you know Gilmore being tired without having a full pre season, though he did seem to have played most of the games, um and and obviously Aaron's only jogging back for the uh, for the goal that came down his side, um. I do think that there's a situation there where a positionally aware, astute, my main job here is to protect Hanley and Gibson, central defensive midfielder, sees that that, that Aaron's is getting tired, sees that uh, um, Billy's gone as, as well and sits in and, and protects a little bit better so we don't have that overload. And also it would prevent Campwell coming back and, and whipping um there, I can't remember who it was, whose, whose legs it was. He, he he took when he was petulantly angry about giving the ball away. That doesn't happen if we don't have that same overload then as well. So there, there was definitely elements of the game where I think a CDM would have would have made a difference. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, the uh, Rupp. I thought he was he was really really great in the first half. Fairly anonymous second half. I wondered. To, I come to you, Lorne, because you mentioned him specifically. Do you think he's the obvious? Um, let's say we signed a CDM next week. You know, we're already we're recording this Wednesday lunchtime, so it's already looking unlikely for Saturday. Um, let's say one comes in next week for the Leicester game. Uh, do you think Rupp is the obvious person who would who would kind of drop out of that midfield three to make space for the CDM behind uh, Lees Malou and Gilmore? 
I think he probably is, yeah. Um, partly I'm basing that on the fact that when I was talking to people before the game on Saturday and we were talking about what our teams would be, I had McLean instead of Rook in my starting eleven, and that was primarily because I forgot that he existed, which is in part because I've barely seen him play. Um, but yeah, I think Lees Malou and Gilmore both offer so much in terms of ability on the ball that if you replace Rupp's energy and tenacity with someone who does that a little bit better, then that's the obvious change to make. Um, and I, I agree with you for a change. I, I think a CDM is is probably the thing that's more important at the moment than getting cover in at fullback. If we could get one more you know, really good central defensive midfielder in, I think we'd have a really good chance of staying up this season. Fion, are you? Uh, I, I was really, really delighted with Hanley. That was the person I was going to say. I thought, I thought Hanley probably did just pip Dimmy in terms of just how impressive he was, given the context of how little he's played. But Fion, do, would you agree with me, or do you disagree with me when I state that I would rather put all of the uh, transfer fee forward slash loan fee forward slash wages into one pot for a CDM and and ignore the centre backs because we can't possibly be as unlucky with injury this time as we were last time. Ooh, um, I would agree with you with that because yes, it's very obvious where where the gap is at the moment. Um, and yeah, while I would never want to rely on injury luck just because it never seems to have gone our way. Um, yeah, I think we do. We do need that position and it is probably going to cost a few quid. And yeah, it is so important for, I think, success this season that we have to kind of go for that. And, you know, trust in what we have at the back, you know. Um, yeah, I thought Hanley was immense. He would be my my second second star player after Dimmy um, on Saturday. Uh, Andy O, hopefully, um, when he when he's fit or able to play, will be able to to sort of do a job there. Um, you know, taking even taking into account he he does have an experience, but hopefully he can uh, he can do something there if needed. Obviously, we've got Gibson, uh, Zimmerman. You know, wh- wherever you are on the fence with him, we've we've got him if needed. Um, so yeah, I would I would be with you on that one. Chuck it all for the uh, for the CDM. What I would just add on the CDM thing is I'd I'd be quite interested to see Sorensen given a go there with that being his his pure role. I know a few people have said that he's possibly a bit too nice to be a defensive midfielder in the Premier League and he needs a bit more bite to him. But he was primarily signed for that role and he did well at left-back. So I probably would say going into the Leicester game or even the City game on Saturday, I would swap Sorensen for... Rup and play him there and let Gilmore and Lees Malou go a bit further forward. That's obviously with no knowledge at all of what he's offering and training. Yeah, it's always, it's always better to make um, blanket decisions based on as little data as possible, I find, in life. Yeah, we've, especially we've when... based the whole podcast on that, mate. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think we, um, you know, it's, it's worth touching on the, the, the performance of um, Liverpool as well as the performance of, of Norwich. The, you you mentioned something, John, that I, I wanted to bring up. Oh, no, my, sorry, it might have been Lorne, sorry. That, um, you know, we, we played, m- most of our players maybe had seven or seven and a half performances. I don't think anyone got above that other than maybe Hanley and Dimmy. And I think fitness is a lot of that and, and rustiness f- towards the front of the, the, the attack. Um, but even in spite of that, we, we really did seem a couple of levels 
down from 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 their level and and I don't think they ever got out of third gear so so punt what what would you say aside from the obvious missing couple of players what do you think is the biggest area of concern for, for, for Norwich either tactically or um kind of look, looking at the season with with just how far short we looked um I disagree that we looked short. I don't think we looked that far short at all. It's interesting that I spoke to a member of the first team squad this week, just by virtue of the fact, and this is obviously a humble brag, but by virtue of the fact I bumped into them. And what they were suggesting is that actually, certainly him and other members of the squad who were there for two years ago feel that they are way much closer than they they would have been in 1920. They feel that the squad is is um, absolutely more prepared, and they felt a lot closer to Liverpool. And I think statistic. I know you know look, you can use statistics and XG and all the rest of it to to bear anything out. But statistically, you know, it was something like 50-50 possession. We had almost as as many passes as Liverpool. Um, you know, and this is from a team that visibly tired on 60 minutes. Um, so I'm not actually that worried. I think we did look actually a lot a lot better than I expected us to, given the the context of the fact that we've we've had a little preseason. So if you're asking me for a concern, I think the concern is that that actually we faded quickly on 60 minutes, and perhaps managerially we should have freshened it up at that point. And you know, I know Tom, you've been on the Farker should make his substitutions earlier train for forever. Um, I've I've never really subscribed to that, but clearly there was the you know there was circumstances which contrived to to make it that he should have you know he should have looked at substitutions earlier this week. I think that's the only thing that we were missing, and, and actually we were quite close to Liverpool. And when the new boys bed in, certainly the attacking new boys bed in, I don't think we've got anything to fear from this division at all. Okay, so me and Laurie think we didn't look that close to them. What do you think, Fion? Uh, I th- yeah, I thought um, first half was. You know, pretty even, I would say. Actually, they went ahead with that that goal that was slightly fortuitous because Puki got fouled beforehand, and then there was a bit of a dodgy little ricochet got through. But yeah, fair enough. They went in one all up, um, and then yeah, their their quick couple of goals killed us. And I thought by about the hour, um, like John says, I thought Puki especially looked absolutely knackered, and uh, which is understandable because of you know his lack of preparation and he's he's had COVID. Um, so I was thinking on about. With about half an hour to go, I was thinking, bring Sergeant on. And then Sergeant did come on for about the last 15. Um, and I thought that sort of bumped up our energy a bit. I really liked the look of him. Um, so I would have liked to see him get a bit longer um, because at, at that point on the hour, I can't remember when their goals were scored, but I think the game was pretty much done then, wasn't it? That was that was 3-0 by then. So It was it, it was clear before the goals went in. Before the goals went in, it was still 1-0 and we yeah. were getting tired. And... Plenty of people around me were agreeing, you know, that this is very, very obvious that we need to make a change here. It's very obvious. We we actually had a little bit of a purple patch around the hour mark, um, and and had a bit of the ball, and you just thought, and and you know, I, I've never spoken to to Mister Farker about it, and I don't know whether or not it's it's you know an incorrect assumption on on my part because we haven't had it confirmed by anyone that we've ever spoken to, but. I almost feel like sometimes when uh, when we see us having an opportunity in a game or, or starting to look a little bit like we, we're knocking on the door when we've been under the cosh for a little while, Farker maybe takes that as a, see, I shouldn't do anything, I should leave it as it is, whereas we maybe take it as a, 
come on, one change, you know, one one fresh bit of impetus or a slightly different um, problem for them up front or like Sargent being a perfect example. I mean, he absolutely changed the momentum of our, of, and the spirit of the team when he came on. He, he really did. The fresh legs made such a huge difference. And he, because he, he basically seemed to be a bull in a china shop style forward, um, Really, really, I agree with you. I really look, like the look of him. Tiny cameo, but my goodness me, did uh, he 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 seems like someone who's going to get you on the edge of your shit seat. And if if Cholis is like that as well, you know, because Shika was definitely like that before he tired first half. I, I was I loved the fact that he was taking on two players at a time and knocking you know getting nutmegs and and I, you know who doesn't want to watch a player like that like a proper old school style winger. Um, t- to me, it was it was absolutely obvious, and I was. I felt really cross with the, with the the way that the second and third goals went in because I I felt it was a tiring team that needed a lift and it didn't come from the bench when it should have done. Um, so I, you know, I I have I said it last time and I still stand by. It. I still don't think at this level, Farker's quite got that got that bit right yet. I don't think he's got the ability to change. He hasn't been able to demonstrate that he can change a game tactically. He can, he's done it umpteen times in the championship. We need to see that in the Premier League if we're going to stay, we stay the course because we, you know, we are going to fall behind in lots of games. Of course, we are. It's it's how how do we change that round and and give them a problem when actually yes we're looking okay, but could a change kind of just kick us on a little bit more? Like maybe not give up on Plan A, but move to Plan A point one slightly sooner in games. What do you reckon, Lorne? Well, there's, I think there's a few things there to unpick. One, I agree with you that we were quite a long way off Liverpool. But the the positive of that is I don't think we're any further off Liverpool than most of the rest of the Premier League is. And that's a bigger problem, is that there isn't. it's not really a competitive division and it didn't feel like a competitive game of football, especially after 60 minutes. I, I think in hindsight, yes, you make changes earlier. But I can completely understand Farker's logic of we're playing well why change it? So- it wasn't hindsight, though. It was obvious at the time. And this this is my point. Is I know it's easy in hindsight. So if we won the game, he made them at the right changes. If we lost the game, he made, made them at the wrong times. So, I mean, I, you can obviously say, but I always say it at the time, and it's nearly always proven correct. I nearly always say we should make a change and five minutes later we concede. But I think the, the point was with the second and third goal is we were on top and they scored the second goal a bit on a break. So I can understand why this he didn't make any changes before the second goal between the second goal and the third goal yeah we probably should have made a change at that point so I don't think you're completely wrong but I can completely understand why Farker didn't make any changes before they scored the second goal well I also understand the logic of him not making changes until really really late because the overwhelming majority of his Norwich career he's made changes really really late and we keep winning you know, so you know because he's played most of his games in the championship, and most of the time we win. So you know, he his he he would stand by the later you make the changes, the more often it has a good result. But it just didn't happen in the Premier League last time, and I think it's something we need to address this time. But with you know, if we are lucky with with injuries and we actually do have a fully fit team, he will feel that much more confident in his bench. And if if people like Sargent are going to come come on and have that much of a positive impact. Um, then he he's going to be more keen to bring them. Hopefully, you'd think be more keen to bring them on earlier in games because um, because they've shown they can can really kind of kick on and and help change the game. I um, also think that Sargent did enough um, in his little cameo. And again, this is caveated with the fact that it was late on and he was playing up against tired legs himself. But I think Sargent probably did enough in his little cameo to make a case that it would be worth starting Sargent over Pookie on Saturday 
and then playing Pukki against Bournemouth on Tuesday because the kind of game that it is likely to be on Saturday where we're pinned in and we're playing on the break, that ne- that isn't necessarily Pukki's strength unless we can get balls in behind, which we're not yet doing because we haven't got that link up between Rashika and Pukki. So I wouldn't mind seeing that on Saturday is giving Pukki a little bit of a rest starting sergeant and then giving Pukki another run out and another build up of fitness in the League Cup game. What do you reckon, Fionn? Are you are you in the? Because you said you were positive about Sergeant. Are you in the starting straight away camp? Uh, I've given the game we have on Saturday. Yes, I would. Um, just because I, I, we're not we're not going to get anything out of it, I'm, and I can say that as someone who's going, and I'm not expecting to come back with any points at all. So I would say, yeah, give give him a run out in that game. Um, you know, if see if see how if he can hold it up, I think he might be able to do that a bit more effectively. Um, you know, his height might be an advantage if we're spending a lot of the game defending. Um, like Lorne says, we can we can bring on Pookie towards the end of the game, maybe, uh, or you know, or give him the full game against Bournemouth. Um, but yeah, I think Saturday is I hate I hate the phrase, but it's a free hit because we are going to lose. So yeah, I, I'd like to give him give him a bit longer and and sort of give him a go from the start and um, and see see how that works out. We could have done with a. Um... We could have really done with a Man City win against Tottenham, couldn't we? It doesn't help us. It doesn't help us that they're angry and they need the points. Um, I'd almost be tempted though with Puki and and Sargent just to play them together. I mean, we we brought on Sargent on the right. It's not like he was playing as a traditional nine, and he still looked really lively and gave us that the energy that that perhaps we'd been lacking for you know the the fifteen twenty minutes that preceded it. So yeah, I'd, I'd almost be tempted to say yeah, Sargent's done enough to force his way into the manager's plans, but actually. It's so integral that that Pookie one gets at sharpness really quickly, but two learns to play with with the new players around him. That I just think you know, look, Timu's going to be our number one striker probably for the majority of the season. So the sooner we get him to sharpness, I think the better. And a happy Pookie is a happy Norwich. Speaking of being happy, let's flip it and talk about being unhappy. We've um, before we move to to listener questions. You know, obviously one of the obvious questions that we got was around um, chanting. Um, and as we've got the, uh, the, the, the uh, an author on the pod who's actually written on the subject of uh, of chanting, I'll, I'll throw it to him first. Um, when is an offensive chance offensive, and who gets to decide what's offensive? It's a really good question, and I don't think there's an easy answer. I think. First of all, what is and isn't offensive is entirely personal. Like I can't be offended on someone else's behalf. You can only be offended on your own behalf, and it's entirely personal. I might find something really offensive that you think is hilarious and vice versa. So you can't draw a hard and fast rule of saying, this is offensive, this is funny. It doesn't work like that. I think in terms of my own kind of behaviour at football and what I personally deem acceptable, my own line is whether or not you're taking the piss out of somebody for something that they chose or didn't choose. So for me, things like race and sexuality are always unacceptable because they're things that somebody hasn't chosen. Taking the piss out of something like a haircut or uh, like fashion or anything like that where someone has chosen I'd even go as far potentially as weight, but that's a really difficult one because it's not always a choice. So things that are chosen, I think it's okay to set the piss out of. 
things that aren't chosen, it's not okay to take the piss out of. The one area that I think is really grey with that is religion. And you could make a case that you don't choose to have faith or you could make a case that you do choose to have faith. And I think there the definition would be, are you taking the piss out of somebody for having faith or are you taking the piss out of something that they have faith in, which is, again, a really fine line. So it's impossible to say. It's a very personal thing for me. If you're taking the piss out of someone for something that they haven't chosen, that's not acceptable. Well, there was a lot of whataboutery at the weekend, um, which there, there nearly always is in, in football tribalism. So they did this, yeah, but they did that. Um, you know, the two two main things we're talking about is a, a victim related chant from Norwich, which I didn't hear, um, but I have um, someone else that I you know that sits actually further away from me than the Barclay who says they did, um, which is odd. Um, that was definitely sung in the Barclay on Saturday. Yeah, and no, I, I didn't hear that, but but apparently it was sung. Um, and then also the, uh, the 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 chant from um, the uh, Liverpool fans towards a a Chelsea player who is being rented currently from from that club. So I mean, on the one one side of things, I'm in the same same boat as you, uh, Lorne, in that I, I'm very keen always not to be offended on someone else's behalf. Um, I have I have a I have a thicker skin for this type of thing than, than others. And I know that that is purely because of my privilege and I don't fit into many of the groups that, that tend to get picked on. So, you know, that that's why as always, and you know, Punt and I have talked about this on the pod before we're conscious to try and get other people's voices on, on these things because we, we don't want to try and I think I, I get a bit confused. I think it's virtual virtue signaling. Is that what you can be accused of? When, when we get accused to, of that a lot, mate. Yeah. But, I mean, but, but effectively I'm ignorant to, I'm ignorant to how bad it can make someone feel. I, you know, I actually think um, that your, your point of view on your, your thing you mentioned about weight, Lorne is an interesting one because that's a prime example to whom to to where some people are really touchy about that and other people see it as as, as fair game and and I think that the line really needs to be and, and the way I conduct myself when I'm at football is as, as soon as there as it has been suggested to me that something might fall into the category of no that I, I genuinely find that offensive upsetting it goes. Be- I lose any that takes any joy away from me wanting to sing it or chant it. If you see what I mean, it's irrelevant of whether or not I think it's utterly nonsense that they've got a problem with it. That that to me that isn't really the point. The point is, well, now if I'm making someone else's, if I'm ruining someone else's afternoon, it's, well, that's not fun anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm not gaining a competitive advantage for Norwich by making someone, hundreds of people or one person in another stand feel extremely uncomfortable. So I just won't do it. I'll just concentrate on. On singing about my own players and my own team and how wonderful they are, uh, or one additional... sh- shouting at Farker for not bloody making subs. There's one additional <laughs> little point in there which further complicates things in terms of a th- there's an absolute difference between being hostile and being abusive. So there, there were a few instances on Saturday um, in the Barclay where when Liverpool came out, they were greeted with a chorus of boos. And I think that's absolutely perfectly reasonable. Like you, you want to be a hostile home crowd. You want to make it intimidating and uncomfortable for the opposition to play. But there's an there's a difference between that and being abusive. Yeah, but well, yeah, and and I th- I think that's the point. You can't 
you can't really have a problem with 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 people uh, trying to make it hard for you to do your job well as a footballer because that's part of that's been part and parcel of football for decades. Um, it, it really comes down to it that there seemed to be on on the Anfield rap um, uh, site they made a they put out a statement forward slash article around um, you know the the rent boy uh, uh, song or chant um, saying look. Uh, our mates in Cop Out, which I think is the, their version of our Proud Canaries, says it offends them and they say it's not okay and they're our mates. So if our mate and, and you stick up for your mates, if you're, you know, a scouser in their in their words, but, you know, to be fair, that's kind of the football um, brethren anyway. So you stick up for your own. And if if our own are saying, no, we don't like it, we, we find it offensive, we, we think this is where its roots are. It doesn't actually matter whether or not you think they're right. It doesn't matter if you think, oh, no, I'm not singing it because of that. I'm singing it because of this. Well, just stop. And and actually quite a number of the comments under that w- was along the lines of never even occurred to me that it was to do with this, mm. that and the other. I literally was just the case that he's on loan from Chelsea. That's the only thing. That's all I've ever thought it was. I won't sing it again. And whether or not you choose to believe it or not is not the point. The, the, the end result is right, which is going back to what I said earlier. If someone says the thing that you always thought was fine actually is offensive and upsetting to, to this group of people, just find something else to say or or, or, or sing. And that's the reason that I think that it's really important that that people, regardless of whether you know you're part of that minority group or regardless of of whether you've personally taken offence, that that pe- if you know that people will take offence, um, or you know could could take an off- could take offence as as a result of of the chance that that your lot you know are putting out there, then I think it you know it is everyone's job to call that out. I mean, look, let's it was re- as you've just said, it was really quickly established. That actually the the term rent boy, it was linked to you know kind of probably you know decades ago and a Chelsea headhunter and a male sex worker and you know it was really clear that that was being used as a pejorative. It was also really clear, as you've just said, Tom, that you know the guys from Cop Outs had then put out there in the public domain. Actually, this doesn't make us feel very welcome at football, and we've got every right to feel as welcome at football as everyone else. That for me just is the bottom line. It's really easy to then say that chant isn't acceptable. Let's just stop it. But there was also there's two more chants. So you talk about the always the victims chant. That isn't even a conversation for me. That that is just completely unacceptable and shouldn't be sung at any football ground. Um, but there was two more that I, that I had issue with. The first was we shoot burglars, and I, I just wince every time that's that's chanted in the Barclay because. Ultimately, what you are doing is celebrating essentially a murderer who had severe mental illness. Uh, and why, as a society, would we want, want to be doing that? Um, the second, as you know, Andy and I have, have had some some relatively robust exchanges on social media, is is the sign on chant because, I mean, someone justifying that chant or justifying the fact that that it was it was sung in the Barclay try to then come back at us and, and have the front to suggest that we we shouldn't bring our own politics into football. And as much as if you kind of accept that statement and say, all right, don't bring politics into football. Which is bollocks, that by chant, the way, because football is entirely Yeah, political. which is bollocks, completely agree. But if we, if we just accept that for a moment, that chant is probably one of the most heavily politicised chants in the history of chanting in the fact that, you know, it all originates from the fact that you know, Margaret Thatcher's Tory government completely left the, the city of Liverpool out, you know, hung them out to dry, you know, and we are essentially, you're mocking poverty as, as a result of 
of you you know that chant and that again that just doesn't feel acceptable and and it's all you know people going oh give me an example of people that are offended you can do your own reading the information is out there but i've got family that are liverpudlians and they fucking hate it and just think it's absolutely ridiculous that that people are stuck in you know the 80s or early 90s where where that kind of chant was commonplace on the terraces so it's i there's completely also, agree with sorry go on Ronnie. i was just gonna say there's also a really weird mindset in terms of like prove someone was offended like yeah. That isn't anyone's job to prove that they're offended. If someone tells you that they're offended or can someone can explain why something is offensive to somebody else, then that has to be enough that you can't prove an emotion. And, and, well, yeah, yeah, to, to, yeah, I saw examples of that in the positive as well, though, which is please explain to me why this isn't right yeah absolutely and, and that's, that right, because fine. you could you could also say that um something that i find something that i roll my eyes out is that roll, roll my eyes at is the inbred um six fingers tractor driving farmer all of that nonsense that that we get from you know home fans and very very rarely these days away fans i, I do think generally that and again it's been we've had a year and a half out of it but i do think over the last 10 years there has been a, a there has been a, a far greater um, efforts made from away fans in all grounds to sing about their own team. But they don't, you don't tend to spend as much time singing about how horrible it is where you've come to, if you see what I mean. Um, but I, I roll my eyes at, at that kind of nonsense that, that gets sung about us. But I guess the difference is that isn't based on the fact that. Um, you know, that's not based on Tory policy or, or based on the fact that actually we, you know, there's been some sort of potato famine in Norfolk or whatever, you know, so it's, it's just, it's a silly, lazy stereotype that we just have to roll our eyes at. Um, and you just think, oh, it's sad that you haven't got any more original than that. Um, uh, I think that's a really good point as well. And I think that goes to the heart of all of these is these chants have been around for ages. Like they're not original. They're not big. They're not clever. They're not funny. Like, even if they weren't offensive, it's time for them to die out because they're boring. Like, just come up with something new. Yeah, I can. I couldn't agree more on that. I've got to say because I, I knew I knew before this game we would have the the tedious sign on stuff happening. It just it happens at every game, and it's just incredibly depressing. Um, and it's just so boring. And and Liverpool have heard it all before. You know, they they they've got their response now, which is pretty good. You know, the, the, they were they were singing. You know, they're singing about fuck the Tories you know which is obviously now their 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 response that they've got to that chant and fair play to them and um and it's just so tedious and depressing that on what should have been you know a, a sort of celebration of of coming back to football obviously you know we still we still want all the all the original you know and spontaneous chants and all that kind of thing but to just sort of regress to this tedious thing when we've just had 18 months of you know people getting further into poverty and uh and we're singing stuff like that I just yeah, couldn't agree more with Andy. It always comes. It always comes after. Well, in my experience as well, it kind of comes after conceding a goal. Um, I mean, I remember the. I actually watched the last Norwich Liverpool um, home game uh, with a Liverpool fan, um, and they behaved themselves ad, um, admirably um, when Norwich when Liverpool scored. But it was only after that goal. Um, that there was any that again, I, I sit in the south stand, so I, I don't hear the little pockets, I only hear things that gets enough momentum. But the, the first and only sign on we heard was, um, was, was after the goal, and it's basically like, oh, so you're, you're basically angry and you want to hurt them, 
you know, you want to come up with something that's going to, oh, well, we'll sing this about you, you know, because, yeah, you know, you might have scored a goal, but at least you haven't, at least we've got a job. It's like, oh, for goodness sake, you know, I, I totally get wanting to sing things that gets, gets, uh, upper opposition's nose and what makes them feel un- uncomfortable and not wanting to play. But there's like, like, like you said, Fionn, that it's um, in the age of the internet, it's so easy for, for new songs to take off. And um, that's one thing I was really, really disappointed about was I didn't hear a single new song on Saturday. And you think we've had all this time and there's been some absolute belters doing the rounds um, on social media about our new, um, about our new players but not, none of it got momentum. So so is that because we were losing, you think, and because there wasn't a long enough period where we were comfortable enough in the game for us to build the confidence to, to do that? I mean, I, I wasn't in the Barclays, so, so from, from you guys in the Barclays, tell me why you think that was. I think there, there's a couple that sort of started to get their first airings. There was one about Ipswich getting battered everywhere they go that was quite catchy, and I think if Ipswich continue to start League One how they are, that will really catch on. Um, and I think a bit, as like Fionn said, in terms of we've been away for so long, it was always going to be a case of kind of coming back and going through the stuff that everyone already knew. There was a quite a nice moment with the first rendition of Farkas on a Horse where people realised that we didn't have any of those players anymore and we weren't really sure who to add in. So it was just substituted with la, 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 la. And I, didn't, I didn't hear Farkas on the Horse. That wasn't loud enough to, to carry across the stand. So I, I'm still waiting for, for someone um, to tell me what the what the new version is because I, I'm going to need to know before the first away game I can I make. I don't think anyone knows yet. Yeah, what, shall we try and make something up? I'll, I, I, I'll I go for it needs, it needs Rashida, Gibson and Krull. There you go. Well, Kr- Krull makes sense because then you can just... You, our, our, our natural accents means that team who can't stop scoring goals is, is fine. Um, and so cruel at the end rhymes sort of with with ghouls. So that's you need fine. A Buendia replacement. So you're going three syllables. Rashica. So Rashitza works. Yeah. Rashica. And then Gibson or Aaron's or Aaron's or whatever. Anyone. Anyone yeah. that's or permanent. Gibson as long as it's not a lone player. Yeah, Gibson okay. over Aaron's or Aaron's because we can't agree on how to pronounce it. No. Fair. <laughs> no, Absolutely true, fair. True. I think maybe we have to kind of agree once we've got everyone, once, once it gets to midnight on the 31st of August, we need, or whenever the the window slams shut, five minutes after it slams shut, we need to basically have a moratorium on. Right, everyone agrees. We we are going with this, um, and then we then we stick to it for until the next window. Um, cool. Okay. Um, looking ahead to this weekend, uh, you've mentioned you're on your way up there, Fion. So, how many are we going to lose by? Um, <laughs> hmm. I would I would be happy if we got away with conceding four goals or fewer I think which is not a reflection on our defending particularly um, but it's just a reflection on that Man City are really good although not they weren't great on uh, on on Sunday whenever that was um, but um, yeah I'm just a bit worried about it but um, yeah I, I, I hope to be pleasantly surprised yeah I, I know what you mean that, that's that's to be honest how I thought um getting closer to the game I felt relatively confident during the week I always I always I'm trying to always give positive score lines on the podcast irrelevant if I don't think it's going to happen I try and go with my my heart but the closer it got to Saturday I started to hope that we wasn't going to get too too battered I predicted 3-1 by the time the kickoff happened didn't even get our goal I agree with you I think if we can get out conceding four goals and having 75% as many positives after the game as we had on um Saturday 
then that would, then I would take that now. And I, I would, you know, I would take three nil and Sargent looked good again. Rashica beat a couple of players again. Do you know what I mean? I, I would take that because I just think they're having their big unveiling. You know, it's Grealish's debut. Uh, all, you know, the, the, the ground's going to be rocking. They're celebrating the fact that they're, that they're champions, um, you know, with all the fans for the first time again. Um, so yeah, I think we're on a hide into nothing really. I, I I don't think there's a team in the league that would that would get away without a battering on Saturday. What do you I, reckon, Pump? I kind of I I don't know why I'm I'm really kind of unrealistically optimistic. Well, I say optimistic. I still Brilliant. think we we'll lose. Um, I think <laughs> we will. I think it'll be two one. I think we're going to score, and Take I think that. that will be something to savor. And that. um, you know, our first goal back in the in the top flight. Who's going to score it? Um, I am going to say Milot Rashica is going to score you a like worldie him, from 35 yards. I like him a lot, a hell of a yeah. lot. And that is a lot of that is purely based on his YouTube highlights, which, of course, is the only barometer of a player you should ever employ. Um, and he does no, like I, a shot from distance. So it's he not does. So this is why I think, look, 30, 35 yard Rashica rocket. I think they call him the rocket man. Um, then that would be good. And I think, do you know what? Man City weren't great last weekend. They weren't great in the Community Shield. They're still finding their feet. I think we might just be able to um, to remain compact because what I liked, and I, I think there isn't going to be as much emphasis on us as it, you know, kind of as there was when we were the home side to kind of come out at them. I think if we can remain compact, I think if we can um, perhaps employ again, you know, that kind of four three two one, but be a little bit more defensive with our mindset we've definitely then got the players to play on the counter it's just about learning what to do in the opposition's box so as I said before I think it's really important to make sure that that Puki and Rashica kind of can link up and if we did start Sergeant as as we started talking about earlier I think just a bit more energy might just um might just help us so no I'm relatively optimistic what a shit division this is, though, where oh, yeah. you oh, go it, and the most optimistic amongst us says, I hope we can remain compact. No, 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 I haven't given my score yet. I haven't given my score yet. No, I, 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 a, a, a narrative just uh, popped into my head. Um, Kane doesn't get done between now and Saturday. Um, and uh, we end up holding them to a 1-1 draw. Uh, we go in. We go ahead early, and then have an incredible defensive performance. Uh, even have a couple of opportunities to win it. Uh, they uh, knock the door, knock the door, knock the door. Can't get in. Don't we do well? And then that is what finally gives them the to to go up to the extra fifteen million or whatever. That is clearly there's obviously a gap between them. Why it hasn't happened yet? Um, and that's why they finally pay even more money to get Kane because you know we, we only scored one against Norwich, one one. So I'm going one one draw. So Spurs should then give us a sell-on fee if that happens. Exactly. No, 100%. And Farker should just say that down the camera on match the day afterwards. Oh, oh, uh, just, midfielder. just say, uh, <laughs> you, you, can either give us, you can either give us Ollie Skip for a free now or uh, you have to pay the 15 million of, uh, of Kane because I think, I think Pep's going to be on the phone to you. Then he does a little wink and, and walks off and gets on his horse. Seems, seems fair. It would be a very interesting atmosphere if we take the lead and or are ahead slash level at half time given that they lost last week I mean if we're ahead slash level for any point of the game um, then that'd be good it's, it's going to be really hard but I you know I, I ironically I even with my head I I can 
I can see it being more likely that we get a point this Saturday than last Saturday for the reasons we've said of, you know, I think, you know, I, they haven't, we're expecting as this little team to get, to get battered and people get cross when you, when, when you behave like that, but that's only based on evidence and facts. You know, it's only based on the fact that we don't have anything like their budgets. And we, I think we were a long way short of Liverpool and the fact you would expect a backlash, but you know, they haven't scored. They haven't been scoring goals. They haven't looked their fluent best. Maybe there is a bit. Of, maybe there would be a bit of unrest if we could nick one early doors. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm going to go one-one. Lorne, what what's your score? Uh, I would be happy to concede anything less than four, and to score anything more than one. So I'll say three-one because it's realistic, and I'd be I'd be content with that as a result. I still think the we. I still think in this initial run of fixtures, it's all about performances. We we need to see enough enough bright spots that they can pull together a decent sort of series of highlights to show to the players after these first three or four games, or after the first three games going to the Arsenal game and say, look, yes, we're on zero points, but look at this. This is where Rashid's have beat two people here. Here's where Dimi pulled Salah's trousers down twice. Here's where Hanley did this incredibly clever thing in front of Firmino, nipped in and, and got the ball. Um, you know, a, a nice little series of things like to go, no, we belong here and we've got through that first three difficult fixtures. We've now got a run of a few where we can get some points. Look at Arsenal, look at Watford, here we come. I think that's another positive you can take from the Liverpool game though, is that actually all of the, well, all three of the goals that we conceded were absolutely within our, our control and actually maybe a fitter, sharper team would have avoided those. So... You know, I, I think that's something. Oh, I you think could, the second you know, goal was just luck, mate. It was it, uh, literally. No, there was, it was luck, purely, but also, it was purely we, miscontrol. But we've had this. Well, the first goal was purely miscontrol, wasn't it? You know, but uh, but equally, we could probably anticipate that a little bit better, and Cruel could perhaps do a bit better as well. It, it went through him, but the second goal, as you quite rightly said, you know, Gilmore's jogging, positionally not aware. Aaron's is jogging, positionally not aware. Gibson probably doesn't do as much as he should to to fill in the hole for for Hanley kind of coming across to cover. So, and then the third goal is just, you know, a, a, not necessarily a failure of, of zonal marking. It's a failure to react to the second ball. Oh, so, it's also you know, one of those goals that in the championship, a player scores two times out of 10 and yeah, Salah scores completely. eight times out of 10. But again, we can avoid it by by being sharper and, and shutting that down sooner. So, you know, all of these things are within our gift to sort out. It's not like, you know, Liverpool quality-wise kind of tore through us. Actually, we remained quite resolute and defended quite well it was just that you know when our lapses in concentration that that led to the goals even the second goal there's an element of uh fortune for Liverpool in that in terms of the shot gets blocked and goes straight back to Salah Mm -hmm. who can then square it to Firmino like that block could go off for a corner it could go to one of our players and we don't concede like I think you can make a case for not conceding any of those goals but Mm -hmm. that said Liverpool absolutely deserve to win the game Starting to sound like the scum fans on on their social media last night, trying to say, "Yeah, we lost two ones to Cheltenham, <laughs> but if this, that, and the other had happened, then we wouldn't have done." <laughs> that chance, that chance, uh, that guy oh missed. My goodness me! Oh dearie, dearie me! I think we should probably acknowledge that the best question we've had this week we've already answered. So that was from Bridget James, and and she kind of asked about the the debate about what isn't acceptable to chant at the football and, and where do, do we as fans draw the line? So, Bridget, you, you have won the question of the week. So if you would like some merch, then, then get in our DMs. Uh, apart from that, we've had some other good ones. Stuart Wardrope starts us off with, was there anything from the match day experience on Saturday that you didn't realise you'd missed while not being able to attend games? Fionn, let's start with you. My one for that would be 
because I was in the city about lunchtime ish, and it, I don't live in Norwich, so it's the first time I've been to Norwich since the Leicester home game, um, February last year, and it was just really nice to see people wandering around wearing Norwich shirts because I hadn't seen that for for eighteen months. Um, so yeah, that was just really nice. It was just a nice atmosphere. Um, people out and about. I would agree with that. Apart from the new home shirt, any other shirt was acceptable. Um, Lorne, go. Uh, similar to Fionn, I think, in terms of I live quite near the football ground, um, but to actually be going that way and there being other people heading the same direction and then being able to go in, uh, I guess the moment for me was like hearing the click of the turnstile as I went through. Um, that that moment, it felt like no time had passed and loads of time had passed. So I think I think that, and also that happened about five minutes before the teams came out. And I was really excited about the game until I saw the teams, at which point I was suddenly ne- uh, terrified. So, uh-huh. yeah, I think then just literally the act of going into the ground, I hadn't realised that I'd missed that. I really, I didn't realise how much I'd missed the people that I'd completely forgotten about, if that sounds, I don't know if that sounds really weird. But, at the, you know, we saw, I think, Lorne, I was, I was still with you at the time, we saw a couple of people who listen to the po- this podcast regularly and, and always come up and talk to us and help with the flags in in Howard and Sophie mm-hmm. and we hadn't seen them for 18 months or interacted with them for 18 months but it was just really lovely to see them and just it all felt I don't know about you guys but it was I was quite anxious about going to the ground but as soon as you were there it was almost like Covid had never happened and everything disappeared and it was all just as if this was normal again you know it, it, you just got back into the groove so quickly what to the point where you know i had to kind of keep pinching myself and go appreciate this because this is a really big moment in in carrow road history yeah tom, I did a, what do you reckon i did a similar thing just quickly before tom mentions in that i i tried to like deliberately take a couple of moments where i looked like out of the stadium to where i run past carrow road and had been looking in and like hoping to come back in sooner rather than later and like to try and really appreciate the fact that we were all there and it was full and i think that was a nice moment Thomas? Yeah, you talked about the turnstile. It's worth mentioning that I missed the first um, five or six minutes because of the absolute debacle that was the turnstiles on on Saturday. Um, They need to sort their shit out for um, the the remaining games because that was an absolute joke. And a couple of people said that had that happened around the Barclay side where where maybe some slightly more lubricated uh, members of our fan base were turning up, it might have have kicked off because it was getting quite irate um round round there was there was hundreds of people unable to get through the turnstiles um and a lot of people missed the first 10 minutes let alone I was, I was lucky to only miss the first six six or so by the time I got to my seat so I missed the first on the ball city I was furious about that um I missed uh I missed kind of the the teams coming out um which which was annoying and it, it and there didn't seem to be any reason for it it was you know amateurish um uh, organization from the club you know they didn't have proper cues in place it was just a complete scrum not a steward in sight no one trying to create order people standing around shouting saying what's going on two of the turnstiles were closed then when one of them got opened again then another door slammed shut again for no reason then opened again it was it was honestly it was like you know emerald park levels of of, of stewarding and an organization so um yeah they need to get that sorted for for, for next time and it, it really soured my uh, kind of my enjoyment because all those moments that you were talking about that I had kind of picked it in my head leading up to the game didn't happen. I took my seat um, after five or six minutes um, and sort of, you know, I was like, oh, right, we're here now. Okay, football. Okay, right, football again. 
so it was it was it was a bit discombobulating um i've you know through through ill health the, the two people that i've been going to football with for the last 28 years weren't able to be there um i found that more emotional than uh than i thought i would because uh, obviously i'm cold-hearted and horrible um i i so i spare a thought for all the people who maybe listen to this podcast and were going back to football without someone uh, for the first time because of COVID or because of whatever other reason for the, for the last 18 months. Um, it would have been very poignant for a lot of people. And I did see two or three people looking a little bit um, like they had some hay fever. And I wondered whether or not that was, you know, I'm normally here with so-and-so or I'm conscious that so-and-so isn't in the ground who would normally have been here. Um, so I spare thought for those people. It was wonderful in places, but I, I feel like it was a bit of a false start for me personally, um, partly because of, you know, the result and, uh, but partly because of that God awful excuse for uh, getting fans into the ground on time. Yeah. And the club are, the club are very, very aware of it. And I think they are actively trying to fix it before. Well, I guess it's Bournemouth now, isn't it? The next home game. Yeah. Right. Let's have another question. Callum Howard asks, you've got 30 seconds to come up with a charm for one of the new signings. Fionn? Do you have any new chance for any of the new players that you'd like to put in in the public consciousness? Well, it's not, it's not thirty seconds because I did this did come up on my Twitter feed this morning, so I so I did I did see this earlier. But um, I think we need a chant for this new lad from Ipswich, Liam Gibbs, um, because you know going going from town to city, I think deserves some kind of a acknowledgement in song. Um, so maybe maybe we need to practice something at the under twenty threes, but. Uh, but yeah, I quite you know the you know the song that um, Chelsea sing for Will I Am, uh, where he hates Tottenham. He hates Tottenham at the end of it. Um, I think we need something like that. So my my lines I've got so far, are, I haven't got the first two lines, but the, but then it goes. He got the call from the fine city, and off he went up the A140. He hates Ipswich. Mm. He hates Ipswich. So uh, yeah, let, let's work nice. on that. Liam Liam Gibbs, did you say? Liam Gibbs, yeah, yeah, he's the one from Ipswich, isn't he? You could also go with uh, Liam Gibbs, 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 left the scum or came to City from the scum. Liam Gibbs, 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 something, something, something offensive. Um, Is that Agadoo? Nice. Yeah, Yeah, well, yeah, and speaking of fantastic uh, party songs, I I think uh, Rashica to the tune of Tequila. So Rashica, he makes me happy. Rashica, blah blah blah. Again, these are only uh, working uh, progress. But did uh, were... did Vindaloo get a go on Saturday at all? A little bit, but Lesmoo really, really never did enough to Ooh. warrant a little bit of a chant. I wouldn't that's, have said. I think that one will take off, though. I think that's yeah. that's catchy enough and good enough. I think that'll that be. I think that'll be an, an easier way one. Um, that that might be an away one uh, in the concourse. But Far Farker on a horse, I still think is our best song, and that's why we need to get our. Um, that's why we need to get make sure we get these uh, uh, get these these names right that we're going to start singing. Cool. And then last but not least, we have Phil Withall, and he uh, he says or he asks, Ian Crook is the greatest footballer Norwich ever had. You have five minutes to convince me otherwise. Now, Phil, I'm going to be clear, we're not going to take five minutes because I need to get back to work. I'm on my lunch. But um, Tom, start us off with your greatest Norwich footballer ever. Oh well, I was focusing more on the fact that I, I've got I've got to disprove this guy's belief in Crook being the best. I mean, you do that I, too. Well, firstly, he couldn't run very fast, and he wasn't very fast. And I think you need to look at a more complete player. Um, he was a fantastic midfield pass for the ball. I'm delighted that my um, my time watching Norwich included a good few years of, of, of Ian Crook being brilliant in midfield. 
Um, but I, I don't think that he contributed as many goals, assists or magic moments uh, as either Houlihan or um, or Buendia. And I would, I would, because Buendia's gone, he's firmly in second behind Houlihan in terms of best players for Norwich in terms of, you know, overall what he's, what he's given because he wasn't here long enough. Um, but I don't think you can possibly make a case for Crook being better in any category than Houlihan. Maybe long diagonal balls, maybe he hit more of them more accurately. Um, maybe set piece delivery. I'd, I'd give that a nod to Crook as well. But in terms of uh, enjoyment, ac- excitement, getting you off his feet, number of goals, number of assists... I don't think I don't think Crook comes close to Hulan, and I, I loved Ian Crook. He's a fan. It's a great argument to have, but for me, Hulan's a better in almost every category, other than those two I mentioned. I think Crooky is probably the best player that I've seen at Norwich who hasn't been recognised properly internationally. He's just his range of passing was absolutely ridiculous, and, and he was a proper throwback in terms of you know smoking lots and you know basically not focusing on fitness, but just still being sublimely talented but I think the points you've made Tom are absolutely valid that he doesn't have those those absolutely magic moments that that kind of write yourself into into a club's folklore. Fionn anyone else you have him? Uh, I don't have much to add on this because I didn't really see Ian Crook enough because I was not old enough Um, so I, I, I can't really make any comparisons that would be of any use. All right Lorne are you gonna go with the age card as well? So, well, similar to Fionn, I saw the very end of Ian Crook, but when I saw this question come up on Twitter earlier, uh, my immediate answer in my brain was Ian Crook's not the best uh, footballer of knowledge that you've ever had because he's not Wes Houlihan. So yeah. I'm glad that Tom has eloquently explained why that is the case. Part of me is go. glad that, that Buendia has gone because it, it means that whilst we all kind of agreed towards the end of the most recent season that maybe technically, yeah, okay, Buendia has now surpassed Hulan and he had he technically on skill base you can't now and, and you know winning the league twice you can't now look past him. But um I think now he's gone as soon as he's gone in his career and not giving us that many years and not giving it another go in the Premier League and wanting to wanting to go. He wouldn't have gone if he didn't want to. Um I I think the 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 best player we've ever had for me, has, has almost immediately... I haven't thought about this until this question, um, but there's no doubt at all in my mind that thinking about two ex-Norwich players, Hulhan and Brendia, Hulhan is head and shoulders above Brendia um, because of the, the quantity and the volume. You give me that many wonderful, joyous moments, then even if someone gate shot shone slightly brighter, but for a third of the time, nah, not for me, mate. It's, uh, it's got to be Wes. Thank you. And thank you, Phil, for the question. It was a good one. It was. That's it. So, Fionn, enjoy your trip up the M6. I hope you are coming back with more points than we maybe are worried uh, you might not be coming back with. Uh, everyone else, thanks for coming on and giving us your thoughts. Sing what you like, as long as you don't hurt anyone's feelings. My day you go.